You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Episode 22, closing in on that coveted episode 26 mark, which we are aiming for, which will mean we've been officially doing this for six months. It's pretty crazy. We have our second return guest today with Leo Curio III. He's the founder of uh, Haircraft Co., a men's grooming brand. Our first returning guest was Paul Howdegi over at BK Beauty. And so again, now we've got Leo back. Uh, what was crazy was I was I was messaging with Nick before this. I'm like, when was Leo on again? I wanted to reference it. And it's it's mind-blowing that it was four and a half months ago. So anyways, welcome back, Leo. Very happy to have you here. Same. Happy to be back. Um, just as we do it every, every episode, again, drop in the chat. Tell us where you're calling in from. I'm here in Orange County. Nick's in the Cape. And Leo, where are you today? Sunny San Diego. Sunny San Diego. Pacific I like it. Beach. <laughs> um, I think I think the team wants an offsite in San Diego once once we can be normal humans again. So uh, yeah. I, think, I think we'll have to pull that off. I think San Diego is. I don't blame them. San Diego yeah. is, is is definitely the second best city in the world. You guys know what the first best city in the world is? I, yeah, Leo. I know this guy that moved to San Diego and then decided to uproot and move back to the freezing cold Boston. But we won't we won't yeah. name names. Whichever somehow he's in. somehow that doesn't make sense to me to this day. But me neither. You know, <laughs> I don't know who would do that. <laughs> but let's, let's jump right into it. I think also, oh nice, here we go. Buffalo, New York. Of course, we got Cape. We've got Chicago. Always people Saint representing Augustine, Chicago. Nice. Nice. We've got Florida. I'm sure we'll have some people throwing some international spots. We've uh, fortunately been always heavy there. So I want to start with, you know, there's some specific questions I want to get into. I know you've done some very interesting things from a tactical perspective, but what's been the most interesting thing for you from, you know, when we spoke four and a half months ago to today? I think I talked about this four and a half months ago, but just how quickly COVID-19 could change things. When we had spoke four and a half months ago, I mentioned that we saw a decline in sales on Amazon, but it, we took a bigger haircut than the last haircut we had. And it was because of the drop in demand. So the amount of people searching for pomades, hair clays, gels, all the products that we sold. And that was pretty interesting, but also not good. Mm-hmm. But what made it interesting for us was when we chatted four and a half months ago is how were we going to combat that during that time. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that I'll share today, but it's just to see how something like that, a pandemic can affect an entire market. And obviously I'm sure you guys have spoken to brands that have been positively affected, but for men's grooming, knowing men such as Nick wearing a hat right now, and a lot of guys not getting haircuts, a lot of guys just didn't take pride in doing their hair. <laughs> that was not a stab at you, Casey. But just a lot of people throughout this quarantine haven't had a reason to do anything with the hair. So that has been interesting, but that gave us a great opportunity to figure out how do we, how do we try to connect with our customers better? 
how do we make sure we do it in a way that makes sense to you? Because during this pandemic, there's been a ton of things that have happened throughout the world. So that's been the most interesting thing. Well, let's jump right into that then from like a marketing perspective and getting tactical. You know, Nick was showing off some of your guys' stuff on Instagram. And I know before you're talking about some of the stuff you've been able to do with athletes. So, you know, from a marketing perspective, maybe it's not one of those things, but what do you think's put you guys in the best position moving forward? And then we can kind of jump into the other topics as well. Yeah. So the biggest thing that we focused on was knowing that this change happened, that decrease in demand for our products and identifying that. So when we spoke four and a half months ago, we talked about switching, not switching off Amazon, but not putting all of our eggs in one basket because Amazon had been like 99% of our revenue. So the first thing we did was Facebook and Instagram ads. That That was a huge game changer for us in terms of demand generation. Amazon is all about demand capture. So off of Amazon traffic, we started testing different audiences and anyone that is on this call today or will hear this later on, the, the key to Facebook is audience testing. And we've found that out pretty quickly, which audiences were not for us, which different segments that we targeted and whatnot. So that gave us a good grounds in terms of getting information and data from our customers. Uh, so we are able to scale our sales on our site. And then that also translated back to Amazon. But on top of that, what we started to do as we started ramp up sales is calling more of our customers as well to understand why are you buying from us during this pandemic? Because one thing would be, we did that before, but it would be like, why, why would you buy a hair product right now? It doesn't make sense. You can't go outside. What's going on? And the biggest things that we learned was one was our brand. What we stood for, we're a young company, uh, our team, we're all young. And then two was they just genuinely cared about doing their hair. And they found that when they did their hair in the morning, that was the thing that kind of got them up in the morning that gave them that confidence to start the day, whether that's a Zoom call or just feeling better about themselves. And we kept hearing that feedback consistently. So that kind of changed our frame in terms of our messaging. So we started thinking about this rebrand. We talked about doing this rebrand in August. So we wouldn't even have started in till August. But when we chatted, that was right when we started doing this rebrand. So with the rebrand, obviously, you see that the product labels, all of that's changed. And in the background, you can actually see the evolution of Haircraft Co. So during that, like, we wanted to make sure that we were only selling the points of what our customers actually loved about our products. And then obviously trying to make sure that our products became better during this time as well. And then going in with the messaging, why people are buying our products. So for us, we believe that the root of confidence starts with your hair, no pun intended. But that's the messaging that we ran with. And now today, like, I mean, there's a ton of other things that we did and maybe we'll go into that, but that was the biggest thing. And we just had this rebrand go live last Wednesday. And ever since then, no change in ad spend, no change in any investment in terms of advertising. And we've started to see sales kind of return back to where it was pre-quarantine. And it was just changing the messaging, just changing what we believe is why people would buy hair products right now, which is the direct feedback we got from customers. That's huge. And something I want to reiterate that, that you that you said there, Amazon is demand capture, Facebook and Instagram is demand creation. And so I think it's interesting just people realizing, like understanding that concept as they toggle between the two channels, or maybe as they enter a new channel after having success in another, because I've seen a lot of Amazon brands try to launch their own store and just really struggle and vice versa. And realizing that the cham- that not all channels are, are, 
are the same or are created equal. And so it's like, what is the job of that channel? So that's very interesting. I definitely want to get into the rebrand, but something that you mentioned with Facebook and Instagram, because there's just so many different ways to tactically approach that channel. And I'd say the, the tactics that worked six months ago, or even maybe three months ago have changed as demand has returned to the platform as well. So you mentioned audience creation, and then I actually want to get into your messaging. So talk me through like, how, where did you start from an audience creation level? Like, did you start broad and go narrow? Did you go narrow and go broad? And like, what were some of like those missteps? Yeah. So as an Amazon first brand, I'm glad you brought that up, Casey. You don't really know how to pivot outside of those waters because it's a totally different channel and it's a different type of investment. So we started really wide from going from a segment of just all men in the age range that we believe that our customer was, which is 18 to 38, 18 to 40. And we found out that was correct. But then we started to segment it towards razors, people that use razors, people that do their hair. And we were not seeing a good ROAS at all meaning there was a poor investment and we're spending a lot of money. And what we found is as we started going after these, I guess you could say niche audiences, because people that use deodorant, people that shave their hair, people that do their hair, people that just like anything that has to do with how your grooming routine would be, those weren't doing well. And what we found is that it had to do more with like the, the actual lifestyle of what those people have. Because the way Facebook works is it's based on how people follow accounts or how people interact with Instagram or Facebook accounts. And there's not a lot of brand, there's not a lot of people at our age and our demographic that are following razor brands on Instagram. So not really interacting with them. And as soon as we found that out a couple of minutes in, we started going after specific audiences that had to do more with the lifestyle that the people were living that are attracted to our brand or resonate with our brand. So that could be whether that's cars, like guys like cars, or that's uh, expensive watches, or specific niche audiences. And that gave us some data to create a lookalike audience that eventually helped us build the scale off of Amazon. But it took a lot of different testing. I'm covering a lot of that, but it's really just finding... You have to think about who is that person that would be using your product? What type of Instagram accounts do they follow? What type of interactions is it? Is it ESPN? Is it Barstool Sports? Those are the type of people that we found that love our products, which made sense because those are the exact Instagram accounts that we follow. I love that because we're actually working on some projects over on the ShipHop side. And like that's the number one thing is like pulling people who fit our target market and essentially asking them like, who do you follow on Instagram? Um, <laughs> so, you, I mean, of, of course, without revealing the secret sauce, but do you have any examples there? Because like you do mention Barstool but they also have, I don't know how many followers, millions or maybe tens of millions. Whereas let's say like in the luxury watch space, like a Hodinkee or something like that has hundreds of thousands. So it's like a smaller niche, but you know, maybe they're primarily males who will spend more money on this kind of stuff. So anything that kind of stood out to you, and I know you probably aggregate quite a few you know, accounts that they follow together, but anything you can share? Yeah. I mean, it's all testing and it might not be the same. There's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. So especially because people have to see your ads, they have to click on your ads and they have to go to your site and then want to convert. So I, I would just say sports accounts. We found that like ESPN, MMA accounts, NFL, it's just really sports targeted is the guy that tends to like the, our products. <laughs> it could be even like motivational 
uh, like type of accounts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, it just was across the board, but it, when we actually started to break it down. We would be like, oh, well, guys that do their hair, they probably like Zara, but that that's just, they don't follow those accounts. And there's very few that do, but I would just say for anyone that's testing that out, just looking at what is that lifestyle and like, what are the accounts that the guys that actually buy or women that buy your product actually following? Because you'll find that a lot of people don't follow a lot of branded accounts because they choose who they want to follow. But I would say sports focus for us was the big one. So here's a question from Mawad to kind of pick up on that. How are you able to notice these lifestyle commonalities? And were you just digging through like conversion analytics? Was this coming from the conversations? Because you said you were picking up the phone. How did you start to uncover these? So the way we started to be able to see is because when you're targeting specific audiences on Facebook, we would have everything labeled as if we're targeting this demographic or this specific audience, this one is only for razors, which sometimes that did well, sometimes it didn't, or Gillette. And then we have one that was specific, an ad set that was specific to uh, you know sports accounts. So ESPN, Barstool Sports, accounts like that. And we'd see when the purchases came in. So when we compiled enough data to actually create a lookalike audience, we already knew where a majority of that bucket size came from. It wasn't the ones that we actually thought it would be initially, which was grooming. It was sports related. And I also, I forgot the other one that was a big one for us, but yeah, that's how we, that's how we're able to tell in the data. So, and then obviously talking, oh, that's yeah. the other one is military. Oh. It was hmm. so shocking to me as a military and which is like, that's a huge demographic that we didn't even think about. And when I'd be calling customers, like I have to do my hair, I have to show up in the morning. And, you know, if I go into whatever their boss's name and they're like, Hey, I have to do my hair. So it's super important that I always do my hair, but stuff like that. When we started targeting specific audiences, like the military, we'd see these increases and we'd chat with them and be the same thing. Funny you say that. My first boss out of college, he he served in the military for a while. And anytime my hair got a little long, he would always just (laughs) shame me in front of whoever he could until I'd come in nice and cleaned up. I'm going to bring him on this uh, one of these operators. (laughs) I bet you you will. And so I actually want to get into, I actually would like to talk about audiences a little bit more in a second as well, but messaging. And so it's funny you mentioned like, taking care of yourself in the morning, like you said, like the veterans or people who are serving in the military, like, you know, they've got to go in clean cut and people who just want to feel good about how they start their day. Like, you know, for better, or I'd say, fortunately, I've been able to, to work remotely for, you know, well over the last decade. And when people ask like, what's my biggest tip, which has come a lot recently in the last six months, it's, it's act like you're going to an office. And so I've often had like offices I've gone to, you know, or work out of the home office, but it's, you got to get up, you got to eat breakfast, shower, do your hair, get dressed like you're going into an office or else it's just like your mindset is completely off. And so that makes sense with you guys with your hair products from a messaging standpoint, because obviously what I just said is just, you know, it's a lot of words. How do you, how do you signal that from like a messaging standpoint? Yeah. So once again, huge learning for us. A question we asked ourselves as a team is, why would anyone want to buy our hair products right now? Because they can't go to bars. They can't go out to anywhere. They can't necessarily go on dates. I'm talking about men specifically. And as we started asking more customers, they said the same thing as you. It's just something that makes me feel like I'm able to start my day and give me the confidence. 
So the way we're able to package that was we started thinking about why are people buying Lululemon clothes right now, which is those are expensive investments and you know, sports nutrition's on the up and all these specific categories are crushing. But if only we're able to kind of come to the market in a hair care realm and start to try to educate men that you should take pride in your hair because it's the one thing that you can do and it's pinned all over our website, all over Amazon. It's the one thing that you can do every morning that takes less than a minute to do your hair that instantly changes how you look and how you feel. So for us, like we always say, like motivational speakers will tell you to do your bed. We say do your hair. <laughs> so it's just that simple and it's for the price of a vodka soda, right? It's it's not expensive. <laughs> and and it's an easy win that will take you a lot farther than just buying a vodka soda or buying a six pack of beer, right? And that's the other thing we kept thinking about is a lot of these guys that are buying all these expensive workout equipment, what are they trying to do? They're just trying to be more confident. They want to look better. They want to feel better. So for us, we just kind of try to take that same messaging, but from a different standpoint that most men don't think about is your hair. You look good, you feel good, you do great. And your, your hair is the root of your confidence. And it's the one thing as a man, like you can lose weight, that'll take months. You can gain muscle, that'll take months too. But the one thing that'll completely change the way you look instantly is either shaving your face, shaving your beard, or doing your hair. And like I said, it's it's painted all over our website in terms of that simplicity of like it's minimal investment to be able to look good. I, I this is where I get so excited with like some of the messaging stuff and talking to the customers and and it's like using their words for them, where it's like it's the price of a vodka soda. And what's fascinating yeah. with this whole like <laughs> e-commerce boom, a lot of it is it's like, okay, where were people <laughs> spending money before? And like my, my my wife and I were talking about this the other day where pretty much March 15th or March 14th, our expenses on restaurants has literally been zero. And so, yes, we're saving some of that money, but then we're also using that money elsewhere. You know, honestly, a lot of it goes to like Whole Foods <laughs> and, and Amazon Prime. But, um, <laughs> but it's like here, it's like, you know, those that that person that's going to the bar you know, he still wants to put himself in a good position. And so it's, yeah. for, for the like you said, the price of a, a vodka soda or um, maybe half a vodka soda in San Diego, you know, you can <laughs> basically buy your product. I, I love that. What about... Now, one other thing on that, Casey, it. just to touch on is like, even just trying to think in a guy's head right now, like we learned so much on the specific audiences, but it also was, guys like to be kind of pushed in a way that's, in a way douchey is like, Shout out to J. Cole and Nick uh, on our team who wrote up all the copy. It was like, you still blaming quarantine for that hair or like stuff like that, where it's like, guys don't want to hear that. And when they, they know that, whether they're going on a date or they're hearing that from their buddies, we're just trying to hit guys where it hurts. And for us and our branding, that that's really what resonates with our customers. And also with like the, the, the vodka soda example or whatever it may be. I know like sometimes I've seen people get hung up with like, well, not everybody drinks that. Or some people think that drink is lame. That's not the point <laughs> is you're, you're getting some people that resonate with it. And also like maybe worst case is you get somebody that laughs. And if like you can get somebody to have any type of like emotive response to like your ad, you're better than 99% of the ads out there. Yeah. The question for you as well, because like you mentioned Lululemon, you know, we've seen what Peloton has been able to pull off, Lululemon acquired, I think it was Mir. Um, and so there's so much focus, especially because people aren't going out to the bars and they can't go to the gyms. They're spending time in their in their houses to like put them, you know, get in better shape and everything. 
have you been able to test those, maybe the followers of those different products as well? And has, has that like resulted in anything? Definitely. We've, those are some of our key audiences too, that we've built to pull customers from because a guy that's spending a few hundred dollars on Lululemon equipment or gear, that's our guy. He cares aesthetically how he looks, how he feels. He doesn't want to just get a regular Nike short, which is not cheap at all, but is willing to invest a little bit more in those joggers. Um, yeah, we found that too. But it also, the other thing with Facebook is we can target those people. But to your point is if the ad doesn't get someone to even want to click on it, which we had a huge issue at the beginning is our click-through rate was so low. And like we have this really cool creative that we thought was cool, but it didn't spark any interest and people aren't thinking about hair. So that's when we had to get creative because people are driven by two things, either pleasure or pain. So we try to kind of target that with how we've done ad copy and whatnot. But yes, we've definitely targeted those people. Nice. I, I love that. And, and I want to get into the creative spot in a second. Actually, Nick had the question, so we'll just have him ask it. But before that, Nicole has a, a good one. I'm, I'm excited to hear the answer here. Do you do any women-centric marketing for them to buy products for their man? Yes. Uh, that's, an, <laughs> that's a great question, Nicole. Yes. That's definitely been another thing that we've done. Uh, we've done it from like Instagram stories to uh, Instagram ads specifically. That's where we found a lot of women that are in our demographic to buy for their boyfriends that even for like Father's Day, Father's Day was during this time of quarantine as well, like buying for your dad. But yes, definitely a lot of women's marketing. And even with those audiences, like what are the brands that resonate with the type of male that they might be dating that resonates with our brand? So like whether that's Victoria's Secret or with it's just like different Lululemon too, those type of brands that we're able to target against on that specific audience. Love that. It's just getting into like the psychology components and uh, it's such a fun thing to um, to test with. So We did a lot of testing this quarantine. It's still <laughs> quarantine, but we've done a ton of testing. And, and that's kind of the fun with like dig- digital marketing today is you get to use both left brain and right brain where you have to be so analytical in like your approach and like the data that you use. But then you also need to use the like the psycho- psychological components as well, both in like from ad copy to the ads to even thinking through who they are. So Nick, you want to ask your question on um, creative? Yeah. Well, I'm just curious, like how are you putting how are you putting all this creative together? Like I've seen some of your ads and just even some of the organic postings on Instagram, like the videos, like were those shot? Like you know, when was it shot? Like how do you how do you come up with so much fresh creative? Because with Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and so forth, like I feel like everyone says you have to refresh creative almost every week. Is that kind of what you guys are doing? Do you have a cadence in place, or is it? Like, are you guys doing it on your own? Are you using like Canva? Um, really curious about that. Like, are you outsourcing it to like Fiverr? Everything. It's been everything. <laughs> it's your point. It's, it's, it's been everything, whether it's us shooting it internally as a team or working with different content curators. We reached out to a bunch of people on Instagram with brands that, once again, same thing. If, if we see that people are super fans of a specific brand that we, we really like, whether it's an Instagram account and we tend to see that they, they are content curators, meaning that they take photos of products. We'll reach out to them and send them product because the value of sending them product for free, it costs us nothing and for the return of what we'll get in that creative. And that pushes us too, because what we think might be cool in terms of creative of like how the gel looks when you open it or the clay with some smoke by it, might not be as cool as this guy who has a totally different mindset of how he's done it. So 
we work with a lot of content creators and then even with athletes that like I, I mentioned we we have people from the ufc nfl nhl mlb that we've sent product to we've gotten some interesting content too from as well and everyone has their own way but it's mostly just been direct outreach to people that we feel one resonate with our brand and based on our values and our mission which might sound kind of silly but it's got to resonate with them otherwise whoever they post it to on their feed is going to see and they might say that's not based on what they think of this person that they're following doesn't really resonate. So we, we're really picky about the people we send product to as well. I love the um, aspect that you said with sending things to others to see what they come up with a marketing component. We actually met with our operations team the other day because we were doing some projects with them from like a marketing standpoint. And they came with, they came with some ideas that I honestly never would have come up with. And the marketing team that came with us like... We're like, yeah, we wouldn't have thought of this. And so it's, it, but it's such a good idea. And so it's just like the, yeah. something that like, I know I need to do, want to do a better job of, but it's like some of the best like marketing and promotional ideas can obviously come from anywhere. And so you might also get a lot of noise as well, but it's, it's, you know, kind of listening from all like the different markets. So let's stay on the athlete vein. You mentioned MMA a couple of times. Like what is your approach, Ben? It looks like you've had some, some professional athletes promoting you guys. How were you able to crack into that? And, and what's the, what it have been some like the downstream wins that have come from it? Ah, so how we're able to do it, it was just finding the right guys that resonate with our brand because at first it, it was a win just to have someone reach back, back to us on Instagram in terms of someone that's on a professional football team, which was awesome. But if we send them product and they don't do anything or they, it just, they don't even mess with our brand, that's weird for their followers and that's weird for our brand too. So we we're able to do that initially. And then we we're really, I don't want to say picky, but we we're very selective on who we wanted to send product to. One is they have to have good hair because if they don't have good hair, then why are we sending them product? And before it was like, as long as they had hair, but how they present themselves, like it does show for our brand. So we just reached out to all the people that we felt like from every specific different sports league and sent them product and we didn't necessarily have anything that we were trying to get from them, but they just loved our products and they started promoting it, started posting on their, their Instagram stories. And what we started doing is this campaign, which is our tagline as well. It's called get your hair right. So anyone that any of these professional athletes or any of these content creators or uh, actors, whoever it is, like they would tag us and then we start posting on our Instagram story that such and such got his hair right. And it's been cool because we've gotten a lot of overlap from professional athletes, their followers to our account. And then obviously that some of those have translated into sales as well. But at the peak of quarantine, that's when we did that because we thought that that would be a great idea for us to be able to, to try to get the product in front of the people that we really wanted, which is, it was aspirational. Can we actually get people that we watch on TV that we admire using our product and we're able to do that. And now we just ship them all the new stuff. So they like that. That's awesome. Can you give us any examples of athletes that have utilized your product? And maybe if there's an athlete that actually drove a lot more visibility than you were expecting? Yeah. So a few would be uh, like Max Crosby from the Raiders. He's pretty cool. Uh, Stipe, the USC World Heavyweight Champion. Those, are, those have been some big ones that we were really shocked and we're like, wow, we really respect these guys and we're stoked. But we're also stoked that they're excited about our product and they find value in using it because that's what's number one is the product. 
Talk me through UFC and MMA a little bit. I think what's interesting with with quarantine and where certain businesses, you know, are doing well or maybe struggling, just like with sports, some sports leagues are like MMA has been so aggressive in in continuing to roll out the product where others like NBA, of course, shut down. They've done a great job of reopening and kind of set the standard for really how anybody should reopen. But, you know, again, MMA or UFC is, has been really the only sport that's been live for <laughs> several yeah. months. But so did you purposely go after that market or how, what was your approach there? It was super organic. It was the first sports league we actually went through and it had nothing to do with the UFC being the first one to open and we love UFC. But the reason why we start with it is because almost everyone on our team does mixed martial arts, Muay Thai, boxing. And we're like, it'd be cool if we start to go after the fighters that we love and look up to. So it, it all started from there. And it was really cool because right when, right when the UFC opened up and had their first fight in May is right when we were shipping them product and we're getting, once again, all that traction from those people that were posting it they're the only people on ESPN for several months and the only sports that were showing up. So it was super organic. It just so happened to be that all of us, whether we do boxing or Muay Thai, happen to fall in that category. We can get to the rebrand after this, but from you mentioned how your, your sales, and I'm assuming top line revenue or maybe like units sold, are getting back to the pre-COVID levels where you're able to do well on Amazon. And I know a lot of your background is helping run a lot of components at, a, at an Amazon-focused marketing agency. From like a margin perspective, how has that evolved now that you are... I mean, because of course, you're spending money on Facebook and Instagram, but like from, let's just say, your Amazon-led world to now your Facebook-Instagram world, how has like the margin changed over time? It's gone up in terms of profit. The reason it's gone up is because right before quarantine, we moved all of our manufacturing to the US. And that's been something we wanted to do. And that meant we had to increase prices, which was not ideal. And to be honest, coming from an Amazon world, which the product that is one of the most lower priced items tends to do well. And ours wasn't the lowest, but it was like the average. But we try to place it that way. We're able to maximize profits and still increase sales throughout this time because of the messaging and just how we were advertising the products. And Everything that's been driving sales hasn't actually been the Amazon side. Everything has been outside of Amazon from the Facebook side. So that's been really interesting. But I mean, you put six months of work on like all the things that we're touching on so much more from SMS to email to CRO to blogs, all of that going into your site and just testing all these different audiences that allowed us to be able to affect one, our, our store.com sales. And then obviously anything that comes off of Amazon to Amazon we're getting that reward too. So that's been that. How do you approach the organic or direct marketing or direct traffic side of things where Facebook and Instagram can be such a strong channel that you can more or less turn on overnight, again, to varying degrees of success. But once you stop paying the man, there's no, you know, your traffic essentially dries up. And so how do you approach that um, concept as you guys think long-term for the company? We've always been really fortunate that we've had a strong customer retention rate. It's like 20% since the beginning when we launched. And we just try to always focus on customer service. So another thing that we did is reading the book, Delivering Happiness by the founder of Zappos. I forget his name. Incredible book. And I mean, we had a 
bad shipment at the beginning of the year of hair clay, which half of our units came in were bad. And we're getting all these emails that were coming in. So we're really focusing on our customers in terms of making sure that they're happy and all the follow-up emails that already go out on Amazon and also on our store, we we take very intentionally. And, and the customer is always right on Amazon and your website because they can leave a review and it shows instantly. So we make sure we do everything we can to, to keep our customers happy. If they say they don't like a product, we offer them all of our other products. We, we want them to try everything because they might not know about that. But it's just, just trying to retain the customer. For us, we're spending a lot of money getting that customer. So we want to do everything we can to keep them. And then the Evolve now today is we actually have a hair quiz on our site too mm. that gives guys the chance to actually pick what product is right for them, which no one on our market had done that before. And it's such a simple thing that we thought of that's like, guys are kind of silly. Uh, to all the guys listening, like I'm not talking shit to anyone, but yeah, guys can be kind of silly and don't know what they want and don't know much about hair products. So we give them the chance to kind of tell us what products that they think they want and then we'll give them the product based on the quiz that they take. I, I love that where you you kind of lead the horse to water, if you will. And so let's get to that in a second. <laughs> I did it the other day. You did, Nick? <laughs> did you convert? I did. I'm like, I got a hair clay on the way. <laughs> <laughs> you never knew he needed hair clay. <laughs> he just wears a hat every day. <laughs> You're very data-driven in your approach to ads. You, you, you mentioned ROAS or return on ad spend early. You mentioned it in our last conversation. I'm glad you brought up the repeat buyers. And as you guys roll out new products, that's another way to expand your lifetime value of the customer. And so with what you spend on Facebook and Instagram for that first purchase from like a ROAS perspective, how do you think through that today? And then also, how do you think through that as like the LTV increases over time? We always focus on breaking even. We're not trying to make a profit in our ads. That's a philosophy I learned from Amazon. So, And, and, and real quick, when you say break even, that's on, let's say the product costs $30. That's on that $30 or your margin is $15. And so it's on the $15, which, which of it is there? It would be on what the cost of the product is. So we want to make sure we break even to just cover the cost of the product. We're not trying to make profit on that, especially because we know we have such a high repeat purchase rate. Let's just do everything we can once they get the product. Chances are they're going to love it. And then with our customer service, the emails that we're going to send them with, it's all about adding value. I mean, even when you open up our box, you guys will see if you get our product, you'll see everything that we do is value-driven from the emails. It's just we change our entire philosophy to really just focus on every customer that we get is special and we, we don't ever want to lose them. So it's all been focused on breaking even. Obviously, like better than a two to one ROAS is great, which we'll take that. But we know that right now is like peak season for getting as many people as we can in the funnel to try our product. And we're really proud of our branding. We're really proud of what we do. And now we just want other people to do the marketing for us. So we have a lot of people tagging us on their Instagram stories, a lot of people organically doing it just to kind of give us a shout out based on how they like the product. So we try to get our customers to do the marketing for us based on what we're sharing with them. So, so you mentioned, and I love that, and that's you guys really making a bet on your product and the quality and the brand that you're building. And so another good question here from Malad, you mentioned you know, getting them into your funnel and email marketing. So following up on the paid traffic point, how, how are you leveraging that own traffic to drive the repeat customers? What's working best? So obviously using an email system such as like Klaviyo, Key or whatever you, anyone uses, but 
trying to make it not just about sales focus. And when we first started using email, it was very salesy. You get an email and it's like, hey, you bought our product, great, but no value. Like, why did they buy this product? How do they use the product? We're producing blogs to share the product stories. Like, people, what I shared at the very beginning of this is that people really loved our brand, which was really cool for us. They wanted to know the story. So now we have product stories on our website. Like, why did we start the gel pomade? Where did that come from? What was the process of that? So just adding value, it, it's not to be salesy, which obviously we're going to offer a discount where it's necessary and we're going to have sales, but it's more focused on how do we add value. We also have this new series called the Master Craft Series. Our tagline is Master Craft. And essentially, we're highlighting people that we believe are masters of their craft or on their journey of mastering their craft. And people like that. They want to, everyone wants to aspire to be something greater than themselves. So just adding value from email and then also SMS. That's key. If anyone's not doing SMS right now, that's huge. Sending out text messages about different things, whether that's a promotion or a blog. Those have been the key ways that we've tried to keep people. And then even with our packaging, we, we make it really available to talk to us. So we say like, hey, if you have any issues or concerns or even thoughts on our product, here, send us an email here. We're going to respond to you in 24 hours. Nice. I'm going to have to check out the Mastercraft thing. I, I love that concept where it ties into the brand and it's the aspirational of you know who your broader audience wants to become <laughs> and what they're working towards. Like you said, they care about their appearance. You know, they probably care about how they're doing, like just professionally and in other aspects of the world. And so it's showcase that. And of course, you guys are in the background. So another thing here from Malad, and you know, he says Mark Lore, who's the uh, founder of Jet.com and also Diapers. You know, he would lose money on the front end and make it up on the back end. I think the difference between maybe Mark Lore and you guys is that he raised a bunch of VC cash, betting that. He can spend all this money up front. And once they get to a certain scale, that's where they're going to really make a difference. And he's making the bet on the lifetime value of the customer. And you know, you can argue whether that worked or not. With you guys, you're you're bootstrapped. You're funding it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so talk me through that a little bit. How were you guys able to get to the point where you're at today while bootstrapping and then thinking through this, you know, trying to get return on the first purchase, knowing that from like a margin perspective, you're not going to be profitable until they make future purchases. One of the biggest lessons I wish I would have taken when we started Haircraft is focus on one channel, master it, and then move to another channel. We started, we did every channel, didn't make profit on anything. So fortunately for us, as I mentioned, even though we're spending money on Facebook, we're seeing that translate on Amazon, which is extremely profitable right now. So maybe we're not making as much profit on Facebook, but because we already had this other channel that was well built out, we're still seeing that profit come in there. So, I mean, if for the people that are on this call are going to hear this, you obviously got to have some type of plan in place. And for instance, these products, we're going to be launching a couple products in Q4, and we have one that's launching next month. We have a plan in place in terms of like a deadline of when are we going to stop investing in certain marketing to be able to hit above a, a certain ROAS. So we'll run a, a one ROAS for say three months. And then after that, the goal needs to be two to one. So we're making X amount of profit to cover the cost just to order the product, nothing else. So that's always been our philosophy from the start is generate enough profit just to cover the cost of ordering just more than what we had initially. And then invest in that. We're already hitting the two ROAS or whatever the metric that we have. So setting a target of like, based on the amount of inventory that I have, 
the marketing spend that I have, what's the breaking even point where I can still cover the cost of our product and make enough money to buy more product than I had initially. Nice. And so as Paul calls out here, you know, just, just the radical focus, like, you know, he and uh, his wife, Lisa shared just a, a very hyper focus on utilizing YouTube as your dis- distribution channel. And I believe that they, mm-hmm. you know, poked around with like Facebook and Instagram, but you know, it's utilizing a specific channel and then you get a benefit from other channels. Just like you, you mentioned here, it's Facebook and Instagram. And then people, as you build the brand, people will naturally find you directly through your site or through Amazon or elsewhere. Question from Nicole, do you offer a subscription service? And if not, why? We do, definitely. So on our site, subscribe and save. On Amazon, subscribe and save too. If you have a product that you can offer that, you should always offer that. So yes, got that. And how do you, you know, because people utilize the product differently. So, you know, like maybe you use it every day. Nick just bought it. Maybe he uses it just during the business week. And so you might need to get a replenishment before he does. So how do you, is, do you have people like on a monthly plan? Can they toggle it on and off? How do you approach subscription? So on Amazon, Amazon gives you different options of what you want. What we have on our site is monthly. We tend to see that most of the people that order from our site are going to use our product within 30 days or 60 days. I'd say for right now, Amazon, that has a different switch as if you want it every 15 days or if you want it every 60 days. We have some people that buy it twice a month. And then on our site, we've seen that it's just been about 30 days. But if that changes, obviously, we can change that subscription service. What, what percentage of your sales <clears throat> on your website and on Amazon would you say choose the subscription method? Uh, I'd say probably about 5 to 10%. Since the last time I checked, 5 to 10%. Do you offer discounts on Amazon and through your course site if they take you up on the subscription or how do you get people into that funnel? Yeah. So we offer pretty good discount of 15% off our product. And then the same thing with Amazon. It's But depending on how much or how frequent they want to buy our product, that percentage goes even lower or even higher. So if it's bi-weekly or if it's every month, that changes and with the toggle of how often they want to buy our product. So let's talk through the quiz that you mentioned. I love that idea. And especially for, for guys that are <laughs> indifferent or they nice. need basically somebody to like force them to pull the trigger. Can't hold them. <laughs> um, I think Hawthorne does it with like their, I think they do like men's fragrances. So with you okay. guys, a, a couple questions. How'd you build it? How'd you come up with like V1 of the questions and what's some of the impact that you've seen from there? So uh, how do we come up with it? One, we just, Right now, we only have two hair products in our site and then a beard oil. So beard oil, guys pretty much know if they need a beard oil, right? You have a beard, scruffy, itchy, use beard oil. Use our beard oil. In terms of hair, it's pretty basic right now. We have the two core products. If you want no shine and more of that natural, rugged look, and if you want shine with that clean maven look, those are the two options, which I'd say about 70% of guys don't know the difference, which that sounds so simple, more rugged, more maven look. We just call out the specific questions. It went from before we launched the the new site to about seven questions down to three. Because we realized these seven questions, it's getting too comprehensive. We only have two products to offer right now. But it gave us a really good framework for the rest of the products we're launching the rest of this year and the next year that now we know how comprehensive it can be if someone's like, I really want a natural finish that's lighter than a, a clay that'll be X product. 
Which did Nick choose? Is Nick going for the rugged look or or the clean look? He's the rugged look. He's the rugged look. <laughs> <laughs> you can just see it though. Look at that. <laughs> so let's talk about the rebrand. What was the catalyst to kick that off? And yeah, just talk us through that process because I know that it's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. So we had a retreat in January, which was peak of, uh, like our, our peak sales at the time. And we were going through the strategy for the, the entire year. We heard about COVID-19, didn't think we were ever going to be affected by it. We're like, yeah, we're going to be fine. That's not going to be us. And one of the pillars that we had was a rebrand. At that time, it was just to change the labeling. That was it. it was, we want to update the labeling, wanted to, to really resonate with what we feel like the brand is going to change into for the rest of the year. COVID-19 hit, then we realized the rebrand is bigger than that. Rebrand to us is one, the products, number one. We have to make sure that our products are right. We've gotten a ton of feedback in 2019 on what people love, what little things we could change. And then two was the messaging. Like, What do we stand for as a brand? And we all had different opinions. And as the, as the team grew, we all wanted to make sure that what we're saying as a brand really resonated with our customers. So the catalyst was right when COVID-19 hit is we need to focus on maximizing profitability as a bootstrap company, every dollar that we're putting in, we need to see some type of return on it, whether that be now or long-term. So we spent essentially the next four months, right when we started, right when I got on this, uh, on this uh, last webinar with you guys going through this, whether the iterations of the messaging, what we wanted to say, how we wanted guys to feel, what was the long-term play in terms of products? Because we we're supposed to launch seven products this year. And instead of investing all that money into products, we focused on the brand from the videos that we made, the creative that we made. Nick, you asked about you know how we got so much content. We wanted everything to be what, what we envisioned at the start of quarantine and essentially throughout that time, we, we wanted to pivot from that starting in August and launching in January, 2021 to being in August, we had both have the rebrand done, which obviously happened last week. And like I said, ever since that happened, we're just changing the messaging. We didn't change any of our advertising or anything. We didn't increase spend. We've seen our sales almost double since then. We're just changing what we believe in as a brand, what we, what we stand for, why guys would want to buy a hair product. We even say, why would you buy this on our site? Why would you buy a hair product right now? And it says it right there. I love it. And let's, let's get into some of the tactical stuff with the tech stack. You know, you mentioned, you know, Clavio for email. Um, I believe you guys use Attentive for SMS. Something I noticed that surprised me was because you guys have a, a relatively low or lower AOV or average order. I shouldn't say average order value because I don't know how many people how much gets thrown in there. But I'd say your products are lower in price point than others. But you're utilizing Afterpay, which allows for people to pay with installments. And so, I guess when did you add Afterpay, and what's what's been the impact of that? So we added that probably about two months after the webinar we had with you guys. To be honest, that hasn't been a huge. That's not a big percentage of our sales at all, just because it's a lower priced product. The most expensive product we'll have is 20 bucks. So, I mean, obviously people use it, but it's not something where typically people are, are using it, but you don't incur any fees unless people use Afterpay. So I'd still encourage brands to use it because it's just one more selling point to someone. If they don't want to spend 20 bucks, then they can pay for four months 
for $20. Did you guys measure like A-B test it, rolling it out at the same time or do any like before and after evaluation? Or did you just more or less intuit that some of your prospective buyers would want something like this? We didn't do any testing. We just added it to our site because like everything with the rebrand and everything with going forward is when someone gets on our site, how do we have the best experience in our category? It's like 12 out of 10. Everything that we say, everything that would potentially stop someone from buying or something they might want to know about our products, we try to offer everything that we can to get someone to to kind of trust us and buy our products. So we didn't do any testing. We just added it. Nice. And so um, again, I'm looking at my notes over here of a lot of the tech you guys have at least installed, you know, from bold commerce to privy to Yotpo to Hotjar. Are there are there any that do stand out that have, you know, you think given you an extra edge in your execution? I'd say the biggest would be attentive. Like I mentioned, SMS and just that collection, the people we've gotten to work with them very closely. They do a really good job at testing different pop-ups and different creatives and they're very willing to share data in terms of what other brands are doing. And a lot of brands that we know have recommended that to us. But I'd say that's the biggest one that has given us the most amount of data in terms of numbers and then also emails. SMS is it's such an exciting channel and it's new. And a lot of marketers or operators don't know how to execute you know, successful SMS campaigns or or the job to be done from SMS. So do you have any tips for, for brands out there with SMS? Yes. Test. Do it frequently and add GIFs. Um, <laughs> we didn't add any GIFs at the beginning. But add GIFs because it's what pops. You know, you just get a text message. You, you get emails. And a lot of people unsubscribe from that. But email is still powerful. Anyone that says that email isn't powerful, email is still very powerful. But SMS is cool because the mood that you're in when you open your email is, it's either like, oh my God, I'm going to go through my email. I have to unsubscribe from this. And when you go to your phone, you're, whether that's someone that you are looking forward to texting or if it's just, you're just in a different mood. So I'd say like, try to think of who your customer is and how you want to talk to them, whether that's aspirational, whether that's whatever your messaging is. So that's what we try to do with SMS is how do you guys think? And you know, we've mentioned Barstool, we've mentioned it's more of a playful way of talking to, to guys versus just, you know, hey, buy our product, save 20%. And a lot of people will lead with that. And also say, try to add value, which, you know, if that's you're posting a blog, like we're going to be doing that throughout the next few months is the Master Craft series. Like, hey, check this out from this person, you'll learn a lot. And it's not even to try to sell at all, even though it's going to cost money to promote that, that blog. What we're trying to do is just try to add value to the people that are willing to give you their number. And that's the other thing I'd say is that people are giving you their number, which you know, you think about when you talk to a male or female at a bar and you get their number, that's that's a pretty big deal. So that's private information that you don't see their number, but how you treat that is that's more special. Someone's gonna open that at a much higher rate than an email. Are these texts coming from Leo? Are they coming from Haircraft Co? Like how how are you guys framing those from Haircraft Co? Okay, it's interesting too. Like I, I I love the personalized approach too. Again, like I've I've bought some stuff from D 2 C brands where they just bombard me with offers, 
and it's just how can I unsubscribe? And then sometimes it's like Verb Energy does a great job where they definitely utilize gifts and and it's very conversationally written when they think that I'm going to like need more of the product. Uh, <laughs> and so it's it's interesting. By the way, you probably hear my kids wanna, screaming in the background. You want an example of a brand that does it really bad is Dick Sporting Goods. They oh yeah they promote sales like every day. So no shade at Dick Sporting Goods, but yeah, they they don't do a good job at that. <laughs> Um, and then here, <laughs> thanks to Paul for throwing in another data point. Um, he says at BK Beauty, it makes up about um, Afterpay, about 15% of their sales year to date. They also have, you know, a, a modest average order value. It's, it's higher than your guys's, but still, it's not like you're ordering like a Peloton, which is thousands of dollars. It's, you know, mm-hmm. in the, the 40 to $100 range. So Leo, again, I, I really appreciate you coming on for the second time, especially love to see like the brand evolution and growth and how, you know, you guys were punched in the face of COVID like everybody else and, and Amazon kind of came to a halt and, and same with like the messaging of how you're going to say, Hey, you should still do your hair, but you dug into the customers and, and like a new channel. And so it's, you know, it's really exciting to see how well you guys have done. So again, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate everybody in the audience. We'll be here again next week, Wednesday at three o'clock Eastern. But the question that I asked you last time to close it, and as I always do, what's your what's your number one tip for uh, e-commerce brands today? Don't remember what I said last time, but it it's probably this the same thing is be willing to pivot and find momentum in the things that you're doing. Everything we said in the rebrand was it was not focused on sales; it was focused on how do we add value, and that was a big pivot versus everything was focused on revenue and profit and we bit the bullet for the last five months and now we're seeing the dividends of that, of all this testing that we had done. So be willing to pivot and find momentum in different ways that aren't necessarily tied to revenue. And one thing I do want to say too, is just if anyone on my team is here, is just shout out to them because the rebrand was huge and it took everyone's efforts. And just, I have to say that because everyone worked their butt off the last six months. I love that team. It's all about the team. I agree. It's just being adaptable and be willing to change. And and to close it out, I love your comment on momentum. It's something I think about all the time. And I think it's one of the most underappreciated aspects of, of, of really any business is if you have that momentum, like that's your time to double down and go full throttle because it's so hard to make up lost momentum. And you can see that with a lot of a lot of different companies. So great way to end it. Leo, thank you. Nick, thanks for being the the puppet master in the background and organizing these as always. We will see you all next week. Take care. See you, Leo.